Hello, and welcome to Second Helpings, a Grace Fellowship podcast designed to serve up another round of insight and application from our Sunday morning corporate worship gatherings. Pull up, dig in, and get filled as we take another taste of God's greatness. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Second Helpings. I'm Pastor Zach, joined again by Pastor Dan. As we get ready to um, talk about kicking off this new series, Dan just had to remind me the title of it because I'm terrible at those things, Um, but it's actually a very insightful title, Wisdom Through the Ages. We're in Psalm 37 here for the next six, seven weeks Mm -hmm. uh, total for the series. Um, As we kick off from the top of that, just kind of... Uh, we're introducing the series. We're going to talk about verses one through seven uh, today that we did in the um, in the message from Sunday. But tell me, like, kind of why? Why Psalm thirty seven? Why wisdom to the ages? As we were looking at what we need to do as a congregation, what made you think this would be a good thing for us to enter into for the next two months? Yeah, I think that in our modern sensibilities, we think anything that's older than the last couple of years is not fresh enough, it's not sophisticated enough, it can't handle the weight of modern day living. And that's simply not true. And so this passage is manifestly showing that that's not true because David runs to the end of his life. He's in the latter days, the twilight days of his life, and he's looking back and he's armchairing the things to do and the things not to do. And so the richness of the passage in the overall chapter helps have a line of demarcation between how the world thinks and how a God-centered person should think. So what could be more applicable in our time of life than that? So he said that's really rich, really helpful. Jesus is the the apex of that kind of life. But David serves to help us understand from the context of a king looking back over his life with the mirrored interactions he's had, what are the gems and jewels that we can enjoy from that? And through that, seeing how Jesus is the ultimate leader through all those dynamics. Yeah, that's good. I think it's really interesting to think about David's existence in Scripture. Um, although I know now it's debated if there actually was a David. <laughs> Everything's debated. Yeah, I know, right? That's we like believe there was a David. It's, yeah. uh, it's Maybe we of, don't even exist. Maybe this is a matrix. Th- there you go. That's right. Yeah. We're all plugged in. Um, but to look at David's life to have those real uh, swells of debauchery mm. and holiness in that one life. Mm. And then we see him coming towards the end here, and you see this wisdom. Um, For me, it's a little bit encouraging to think something is true, and I don't always have to have it all together and understand how these things work in order for that thing to be true. Truth, this wisdom is true apart from me and the actions that I have done in my life. Um, And you see that as he's, he's lived a lot of life and he's gone, you know, both sides of the aisle there. And you just see this is true, not because of who David was, what he experienced, or what he did. It's true it's because of what he saw of the Lord, and it's the things that kept him grounded in how yeah. he should act. Obviously, there's probably a lot of regrets when he's thinking about these things, mm. um, while there's also a lot of victories that he can see the Lord producing. As just somebody walking along trying to follow the Lord simply, you go, man, like this, this is not up to me, and I can trust in this God who's done these mighty things. Yeah, and I think when you see he's a man after God's own heart, and you see the fumbles he has, but then as you look at as he looks back, he's been through the grinder of life in so many different ways. And all the categories that we find need of humility and graciousness and patience and all that, uh, David is just uh, overflowing with those things. And so when we see his life, we, we're blown away by the reality he is anointed king, roughly 15 years age, and he has to wait years. Yeah. How do you do that? 
well, how do I wait for what I think is a job promotion that I should get? How do I wait? I can wait like David, uh, that I can believe that God is good and I can believe that he is going to provide as I need. And I just, I believe that I walk in faithfulness, just like David. And there's, there's so many things that are transferable, but because he's a man after God's own heart and we see his obvious issues, we never settle on David. We learn from David, but we worship Christ. Right. Because so we so we learn from those things, but we never want to hold up David or Abraham or Moses right. and go, let's be like David or let's be like Moses or let's be like Abraham or any of that stuff. And go, no, no, no. There's a sense in which we admire what God did in them. So we take it that far. But we worship Christ because right. in all the ways they failed and they succeeded, Jesus succeeded and is the Lord and Savior. That's right. And you see the point whenever we're looking at any biblical characters is still, it's like we take a pause from looking at who the Lord is and we go, we're going to look at this guy. Yeah. We're looking at who the Lord is manifest in this guy's life. Yeah. So that's when we look at David, we go, man, God is good. And that's what he's saying here, right? The reason that he's able to say, fret not, which yeah. by the way, like, I don't know if you thought about this, but me, Kevin, we're up there having to play guitars and you're telling us to fret not. We're like, <laughs> we have to lead in worship, man. No, I didn't think that. <laughs> the, no. the non-guitar players aren't going to get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but the idea of this, the, David speaking from a place of, um, of wonder, uh, I mean, an experience going, no, fret not. I know this Lord. I know yeah. this God. I have yeah. experienced him. Do not worry because he is in control of all things. He's working these things out for good. As we're going to see throughout this psalm, God yeah. has a plan in place for yeah. his glory. Not for David's joy, though it would be David's joy in the mm -hmm. end when all is said and done. But David's well aware. This is all. This is the Lord's show, and it's all yeah. about making much of him. That's the reason we look to him and go, okay, if the Lord can use you and he can make much of himself out of you, then maybe there's a chance. <laughs> yeah, and that's where the beauty is when he says, fret not. He's not saying it from a guy who's just giving platitudes from a hill, but he's a guy who was in the cave of Adullam, right. and he was uh, being persecuted by Saul. He was being betrayed by Absalom. He was being betrayed by Ahithophel, which I think is the centerpiece of his thought when it talks about evildoers. That Ahithophel, we know from Psalm 55, is the story is about him, this counselor, this trusted friend who abandoned him, and he said his heart was filled with evil. And so David isn't, don't fret or don't get angry, or don't lash out, don't uh, look to um, avenge yourself. That's the idea of fret because of evil doers. Just like I had to learn not to do that against people like Ahithophel. And in that Psalm 55, he's going back and forth. Well, you did this to me, but I trust the Lord. You did this to me, but I look to the Lord. And so you see this going back and forth. That's exactly where we live. And you can see kind of like a window into his soul and go, that makes perfect sense because in the end, you see the, the character of David's life. He didn't get filled with bitterness. He didn't get filled with... So when he's saying, don't fret, don't be filled with anger and avenging over a legitimate wrong done, That's right. we pause and go, thank you for that. Oh, David, what do you do? I trusted in the Lord. And so... It's not platitudes he's delivering. He's giving you a tour of the caves of his life, and he's speaking into your life. And now it's up to you whether or not you trust and believe and follow or reject and find your way in the, into the really the, the dung heap of humans. Yeah, well, and that's it's one of the things that's helpful to think about is the idea that there's some folks who might hear a situation, they hear fret not, and they go, yeah, but Dan, you don't know what I've been through. Zach, <laughs> yeah, you've not yeah, had the situation. Right. And I, I get there's that angle. I think 
it's kind of obvious that yeah. David's speaking to that here. The other part is there might be some people that go, I get that most people shouldn't fret, but you don't know what I've done. Yeah. You don't know how yeah. wicked I've been. Yeah. And another reminder from David's life. Yeah. He plotted murder yeah. to cover up his yeah. adultery. Yeah. Like this is like he's done he's done all these things. Yeah. And it's not about again who he is, what he's done or has not done. He goes, "Oh, I've seen the Lord. Yeah. I know the Lord's character. I know who he is. Therefore, fret not." It makes no sense to fret when you know who God is in control of these things. Yeah, I think because when people start thinking about Christ and saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do, people have a natural human out clause going, well, I'm not Christ. I'm not. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about another guy. Let's talk about David. And no matter which side of the spectrum you're on, really bad dude uh, who's done a lot of stuff or somebody who's been through the mill as far as um, the Lord pressing him and challenging him to to wait on him. Either side of that, you really can't outpace David's life. That's right. You really can't. When it comes to have you done worse than uh, plot the murder of somebody? Have you done worse than have an adulterous relationship when, you're, when your troops are out, when you're supposed to be? In other words, you're supposed to be the king. In other words, he's kind of covered both of those. And so therefore, um, you should be able to find the reality of the transcendent God. You find him imminent in stories like this. And you get to see, I think one of the things you can think of is we can tell people, particularly if you do with worry, don't worry. Right. And you almost just kind of put another baggage on them. Another, another burden. Yeah. yeah. One more thing to do. Yeah. Well, they're like, well, I'm really good at not worrying already. That's why I came to you in the first place. But I think what you see is when you think about the life of David and others who have talked about this, that I don't think it's simply don't worry, don't fret, because mm-hmm. he then talks about the character of God. Mm-hmm. If you think proactively, if I've done something terrible, if I've done something wicked, and I should be thinking about God being against me or whatever, um, and I can't rest and not worrying, then maybe you can really struggle with that. And I can see where you could be like, well, no, I should worry. I've done this. But if you proactively think about making much of God's mercy, yeah. like I'm actually going to display God's mercy in my life. What's a way you could do that? By not worrying realizing that his mercy is going to be shown to you because he's poured out his wrath on Christ. And now it's just not about me not worrying. It's about me proactively making much of the mercy and grace of God that has been extended to me because of my plotting of murder. Right. Yeah. We, by the way, we've probably all plotted murder. We just weren't as successful as David. He was probably a little more active at it. So I think that proactive way, which you really see here, the language he uses, don't he's saying, don't worry, don't fret on it. But yeah. then the reason he's describing who the Lord is, is he's given a proactive way in which we don't worry. We think about God's greatness. We live in light of it. We make much of it as we go about our business. Yeah, I think if people think, when they hear the idea of don't worry, and all they ascribe to that is the lack of an active activity. In other words, don't worry, okay, I won't do that. Then you don't understand what we're talking about. Not worrying is not not doing something. Not worrying is actively finding yourself trusting, delighting, committing your way to the Lord. So in other words, the the not worrying comes at the at the back end of do this. And it also comes at the front. So in other words, it's it's the resting part is never this absence of activity. Yeah. It's always the proper placement of your responsibility. Yeah. That's where it comes in. And very often in our world today, in the consumer mentality of of Western culture, we think not worry is just happy-go-lucky yeah. life. No, not worrying is actively engaging in the faithfulness of Christ, meditating on that, 
and then it resists worry. That's right. It pushes the worry out. It's not that, okay, I don't do it. You do this so this doesn't occur. That's the more biblical yeah. view. That, that's something we actually, uh, we talked about this with the kids yesterday afternoon um, as we were sitting over lunch. The idea of, well, how do you implement these things? Like we talk about this resting and standing in what you know in. How, how can you do that, rest in Christ, if you don't know Christ? And I don't mean that baseline level of he's opened your eyes to see who he is receiving a Savior. But if you don't know a lot about Jesus, if you're not studying his life, mm. if you're not looking at the way that he lived, yeah. if you're not looking at his holiness, you've got so little things to grab onto. Yeah. So no wonder that you're like, man, I, I, can't, I can't hang in here. Yeah. But the keys are know, look, look in the Word, pay attention to who Jesus is and what he's yeah. doing, yeah. cling to those things, and then we have each other to remind us of them when we can't hold on yeah. by ourselves. And again, I think that might be too simplistic for people but I don't have a better formula. That seems to be how the scripture reveals well, it. I don't us. think anybody has a better formula because I can only trust somebody to the degree I know they're That's trustworthy. Right. So I actually had a conversation with somebody as at lunch and I was sharing, sharing the Lord with uh, the waiter and uh, I talked to him and he's, he, I asked him if he, long story short, but effectively are you, you spiritual? And he's, Oh yeah, I'm Deepak Chopra. I'm very spiritual. And he started talking about Christ and that Christ effectively, he was saying he's the enlightened one. And John the Baptist even talked about that. I said, that's really interesting. I said, if I can show you where John the Baptist said more than he's enlightened, mm -hmm. that he's actually God with us, would you be interested? And he pulls out a gospel of John Whoa. from his waiter's apron. Oh yeah, so I'm really into that. And I said, that's fantastic. So here's the deal. I'll buy you coffee, lunch, or dinner, wherever you want, if we can get together. So anyway, I got his information, but this is the thing. This is a different, back to your point. He had superstition. Mm. He doesn't have faith. Yeah. In other words, he has an understanding of who Christ is, but it's not based on truth. So his superstition can only trust Jesus to a degree. That's right. And so therefore he doesn't, he knows about him. He has an idea of he's, he's constructed, but when the, the pressure of life pushes on him at best, he has superstition. He hopes he'll do something because he don't, doesn't know what he'll do because he doesn't know him. Yeah. And so I think that idea of you've got to know who Jesus Christ is as revealed in the word, not revealed through some guru or what you'd like him to be, because in the end, if that's all you have, you have no hope mm. that'll actually do it. Mm. You, you you really don't. You have a superstition. That's right. You don't have a hope. And hope's not superstitious. Hope no, is certain. No, no, yeah, that's absolutely. Right. That's, it reminds me of a story years ago. Um, we were talking about we've been privileged to not have to have babysitters for our kids. It's just been the way things have worked out. And I made the. You use duct tape? No, I didn't. Well, Benadryl and duct tape. Boring. We stay home. Uh, but with our four kids, I was saying to somebody, I was like, "Yeah, we've actually never left our kids with somebody before." And then they go, "They know us well enough to go." Well, you've left them with this person. Oh yeah. And this person. Oh yeah. I guess we have done that. And this person. And there was like four or five people. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, we actually have done that. But the irony was. I never thought about it because those people were trusted yeah, people. Yeah, I never yeah. thought about leaving my kids and being, oh, I don't know if I can trust them. And I don't know that I think sometimes our interactions with Jesus are like we're leaving the kids with a babysitter for yeah. service or something. And there's no need to be that way. You can know him. Mm. Um, so maybe that's a good follow-up question. I'm, 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 I'm going to ask a question that I want to answer, but I'll let you do it. <laughs> All right. So people say, okay, well, I'm struggling with this. How do I know Christ better? If I continue to struggle with this, 
what are some ways I can go about going to How do I enter into that real rest of who Jesus is? Man, there's multiple ways, but that's a great place to be in because just like with anybody else, uh, how do you grow in your trust of somebody? You spend time with them, get to know who they are, and you see them in circumstances so you see their trustworthiness. So what we have is the picture in Scripture. We have clearly spending time with people, so we've got that uh, direct recording of what he has done and how he has acted, how he has responded, what he taught, etc., etc. Then we have his church. We have people who have gone and trusted and the way that he has worked in their life. And so we take the trust that they've invested in Christ that builds us up just like somebody would say, hey, you can trust that person because I've seen them do this. And so you can trust them. So those two primary ways through the word and through the testimony of his church if you get those two things actively engaging, feeding into your life, spending time in the Word, hearing the testimony, the stories of other people, not just talking about the ball game, but how's the Lord working in your life, and you feed on those things, and you can actually hype that up a little bit, turbocharge it, read missionary biographies of the way Christ has been trusted by missionaries. And if you're really needing that, just read Adoniram Judson. Right. Read different people on the way Jesus was faithful to them, so he has promised to be faithful to himself in you. And so those two primarily supercharged with the missionary testimonies, I think, is an enormously key component. Wait a second. Are you telling me this just because you're telling me that? Or does that, does that really work? Does that really work? I feel like uh, I, yeah. I've heard people say that, but does that really work? I'm being sarcastic. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm reading right now. I showed you this morning in our staff time is I'm reading another book on the grace expressed through the lives of 12 Puritans. Yeah. And so I'm seeing how God worked and how they meditated and what God did in their life. And as they spent time with the Lord, the things that was revealed to them. And as I'm reading these things, I go, that is absolutely true. And they're saying it in ways that I go, I can believe that too. That's right. The testimony. I mean, the, the revelation talks about they'll overcome by the power of their testimony, yeah. right? It's the idea of, because it's not yours, it's the testimony of God's greatness, yeah. like David has given us here yeah. in the psalm as he's yeah. coming towards the end of his life. The reason I said it like that is, I got to say now, after three decades of ministry, goodness, I'm older than I think I am. You're very old. I, I'm, very, I'm very, yes. I'm actually You're 112 years old. I look You're really good for my age. Um, but thinking about <laughs> the idea, people will, I've heard people say, I know I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm doing this, but I'm just not getting the effect. Mm, no. um, unfortunately, I'm the kind of person that digs a little more. I know you're like this too. And you'd mm. be like, tell me more about your Bible reading. Totally. Tell me more about your prayer. Totally. And in these three decades, yeah, yeah. I've not had that, that story actually pan out. I don't know people that aren't doing it. Like they might go, yes, you are reading your Bible, but what, why are you doing it? Yeah. What questions are you asking when you're reading? What's happening in your prayer life? When you're hearing testimonies of other people, are you just paying attention to the cool story? Or are you paying attention to the God behind the story? And you start realizing, yeah. oh, we can actually be really busy and not getting the gold that's right there while we're digging. I feel yeah. like that sometimes we're, we're digging these holes and we're trying to find the gold and it's just falling out of your shovel. You're just not paying attention to it because we're looking for the wrong thing. Yeah, it's really interesting that you say that because I got a call last week from somebody out of state, husband, and um, having real challenges with his kids. And he's trying to shepherd his wife in the understanding of how do we love our kids in great difficulty. And she said, she said, I've been reading my Bible to do that, but it just doesn't work. Mm. And so he's going, what is going on? Because she's reading the script. And I said the exact same thing. I said, so she's reading the scripture mm. so she'll figure out how to be a better parent. Mm. 
hear this. God's really not interested in you being a super parent as much as he's interested in you following him. That's right. And if you follow him, you become a super parent yeah. in that sense. Not that you won't have any difficulty, but that won't be your hangup. She's looking, he's a vendor God. So in other words, I do my part, you do your part. Or if I do this, then he either straightens out my kids or gives me the insight to be this parent. But you're reading it to leverage Christ. Mm-hmm. Christ is now effectively a butler. He's cleaning up around your house. And he goes, no, 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 I'm really not interested in that. And the reality is, is this wife really doesn't want him to be that. She needs him to be Mm -hmm. the savior of her soul. But through coming to that realization, she'll become a better parent. So it's the engine, it's the cart, the horse. Uh, What do you put forward? If you're reading your Bible for a particular uh, outcome centered on you uniquely. Yeah, that's terrible. The, yeah. the heavens are going to be like bronze. But if you're sitting down and having a feast at how incredible, gracious uh, God has been towards you in Christ, then just get ready because the floodgates open as you yeah. cultivate that discipline. That awe and wonder is the thing that transforms you. You're shaped into the image of Christ, right. and that makes you a better parent, better boss, better employer, employee, all of that yeah. stuff. But it's funny because in the Western culture, we don't like it that way. Right. We want we want to learn the information to pass the test versus he's giving us the information to make much of him, yeah. which will make us not, which will put us on a road to be able to handle whatever test comes our way. Yeah, that's the idea of, we, we had this conversation with the kids recently too, said the idea, why were you made? Then they always give the Sunday school answers at first to glorify God. What's that mean? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then we work through and they we take them back to Genesis and they go, okay, to bear God's image, to look like God. And go, okay, so how are you going to get any joy ever in life? Yeah. And they finally work out. Well, I would, I would need to bear God's image. Wouldn't it be great if somebody wrote a book about what he was like yeah. so that you would know how to do that? And we're just talking about that little subtle difference, right? Like the idea of we think of the Bible as an instruction book. Yeah. But in a sense, it is. But it's probably not the instruction book that you're looking for. Yeah, it's you're secondary. For, yeah, yeah, how to be the husband, how to That's be the right. wife, or whatever. Right. Well, as you learn to look like God, yeah, you do all those things in the way you're designed yeah. to do them. I, I'm going to make a confession here. That's going to be embarrassing, but okay, I need it. It's good for the soul. We had when we bought our house. We have a big lawn. It came with a, a riding lawnmower. It conveyed in the purchase oh. of the house, and with the riding lawnmower and the little cup area, there's an uh, owner's manual. All right. Well, this past spring, I had a belt go bad. I had to replace the belt. I pull out the owner's manual, buy the right belt, look at the instructions, have to do all this stuff. I've got it all completely taken apart. And as I'm trying to put this belt back on, I'm realizing this belt is not fitting. Hmm. Well, and I know I have the right belt. I'm looking at the instructions, I'm doing it. And all of a sudden, I realize that drawing looks just a little bit different than my belt system. I'm already three, four hours into this, and it took me another 45 minutes to realize that's not the right instruction manual for my lawnmower. (laughs) I'm frustrated out of my mind. Like, I'm angry at the other homeowners. How am I doing this stuff? And I realized, Zach, this is so indicative of life and how we use scripture. You sit there and you're trying, you're banging your head against the wall, trying to make the scripture do something it was never designed to do. Odd thing, once I Googled it, and I I had another belt because I had the wrong belt, but once I Googled it and I started using the instructions that were meant to do the task, 20 minutes, 
It was actually kind of enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> so it just made me, we do that with scripture. And I'm sure we've all been there. I want to try sure. to make the word sure. to fix this problem because this problem is pressing. And let's take it one step further. Some people read the manual and they go, and it's it's not the right manual, but they go, uh, but I believe it'll work. So they start bending things oh, to go. make the belt fit. And that's false religion. Exactly. So right. they read and write it and they, they jack everything. Right. They'll never get the grass cut. That's exactly right. The book is there to make the Lord known to us and who he is. Just so happens we were designed to reflect who he yeah. is. Yeah. Use the book for what it's for. Yeah. All right. So we're already going. We're already going way long here. Right? We do. What we get we excited. Done? We started what? something up. We started um, talking about uh, gardening equipment. Well, what do you, yeah, well, I had to get it off my chest, right? I had to tell somebody. Yeah, that's about, good. Uh, maybe next time. <laughs> so yeah. Moral of the story: Let yep. the Bible do what the Bible is meant to do. Yeah. And pay attention to the manual you're using. <laughs> maybe if you're changing out a hose on your belt on your uh, your lawnmower there. Yeah. Um, it's good stuff. Looking forward to get into it. That people might say, you know, Psalm thirty-seven in seven weeks. You know, that seems like a lot to be in one psalm. Mm. Well, oh, there's a lot. Maybe there's a lot in there. So there is a lot. We'll look forward to it. Yeah, good All stuff. Right. All right, we'll start next week. We'll be here next. Uh, we'll be in verses eight through thirteen, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll see what awaits. Yeah, good. All right. yeah. So till next time, thank you for joining us over there on the other end of the lens. We look forward to seeing you in church. We're so thankful. If you don't, if you're watching this video. And you're wondering, what are these guys talking about? We're talking about the church service we just had yesterday where we got to fellowship with one another. And as good as it was, it was the being together that made it so special. So we hope to see you this Sunday with us as we exalt our Lord together as his corporate body. We look forward to it. Until next time, we'll see you later.